The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media, building a community of leaders who are doing business better. Learn more about Conscious Company Magazine, events, and membership at ConsciousCompanyMedia.com. This episode is also brought to you by the 2019 World Changing Women Summit. Join us January 28th through 30th in Santa Cruz, California to nourish yourself, connect with other women in leadership, and elevate business. For more information, visit ConsciousCompanyMedia.com backslash Women's Summit. That's ConsciousCompanyMedia.com backslash Women's Summit. You're listening to the World Changing Women's Podcast, where each week we talk to badass female founders who've built game-changing brands that are making the world a better place. How was I going to pay myself? How was I going to support my kids? And then how was I going to grow my business? Like nothing made sense, but I knew I had to do it. Brooke Eddy is a force of nature. Not only did she create a multi-million dollar brand from her own kitchen, but she did so as a single mother of young twins. Her beloved brand, Bhakti Chai, sells bottled chai drinks and teas all over the country at mainstream retailers like Whole Foods, Target, and Costco. And in alignment with Brooke's personality, the brand stands for something larger than just delicious teas. The word Bhakti means devotion, and in addition to being a certified B Corp., Bhakti Chai's platform, Gita Giving, has donated more than half a million dollars to social causes, ranging from women's health to access to clean drinking water. In this episode of World Changing Women, we'll hear how a trip to India inspired a brand, how Brooke found her first customer, what it took to quit a full-time job as a single mother to pursue her dream, and what she's learned along the way. Welcome to World Changing Women. Bhakti Chai, one of my favorite brands out there. Can you talk to me a little bit about the founding story? I went to India to study a movement based on the word bhakti. And so it's really people's devotion or volunteerism that I was interested in studying. And so I was there and I was able to go into people's homes. Um, basically for about three months I was in India for my first time. And when I would go into people's homes and ask them about this movement and how it affected their lives and how it changed people would always serve me their homemade chai. And again, this is a women's lineage that people pass down through their families on the women's side, their chai recipe. So some woman, you know, tasting their chai would have like a little touch of almond or mint or a saffron thread or a touch of cardamom or a touch of ginger, a little black pepper. Some would be very sweet, some would be very tea forward, but I just got to try all these amazing women's homemade recipes. And the idea of bringing that into a beverage company didn't happen at that time. So in India, I was really there studying this movement. My path in life, I thought, was going to be going more towards bringing their message back to the U.S. and writing about it and saying, hey, what are we doing wrong here? How do we bring devotion back into what we're doing here in the nonprofit world? But I ended up accidentally getting pregnant with twins <laughs> And it was kind of a crossroads in my life and I was, you know, it was after Saturn return and I was still kind of figuring out what am I doing with life? I had a master's degree in social policy. I thought I might go for a PhD. I didn't know what I was doing. And then these two little babies end up there in my belly. And so I said, all right, it's, I'm going to do it. 
And it was an experience that I'm so glad I have now to being a mother, but it was hard because at that point I didn't have any money and, you know, ended up getting married to my boyfriend. And the first year, you know, it was a struggle. These twins were preemie and colicky and it was, I don't really remember much of it, to be honest. There's a lot of post-traumatic stress going on in the sleep deprivation in the world, but I was making my own chai at that time. So that was my own caffeine that I would brew the tea, I would press ginger, I would mill the cardamom, I would add my spices and I would have a pot on the stove. And in those times where those kids were like, wah, 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 and I was trying to give one boob to another and another boob to the other one and trying to pump a bottle and da 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 da. It was like India <laughs> taking me away. And I would stand over the pot and just like the steam would come up and I would be smelling the fragrant spices and, and I would drink it all day long. It really didn't come to be a business idea until probably six months later when we were kind of so poor, I couldn't buy anyone Christmas presents. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make mason jars of my chai and put little Kabir, Hafiz, or Rumi poems on the front as a label and give them as holiday gifts. So I did. People enjoyed it. But then people started returning the mason jars empty with $5 or $20 and just leave it on my counter saying, next time you make a batch, I want more. Then I started making two pots on my stove and then three pots on my stove. And then I realized, you know, I think I have maybe come on to something here. Maybe this is, should be in cafes. And when I would go out to cafes, I couldn't drink their chai. So there was one little cafe in Boulder. The woman, I asked her what kind of chai she carried and it wasn't a one that I really wanted to experience. So I said, you know, I make my own chai. Would you be interested in trying my chai and maybe carrying it? She said, sure, bring me a sample. And I remember walking out of that cafe saying, if you bring her a sample, you're starting a chai company. There's no way she's not going to want to buy that. So you've got to come up with your pricing and your name, and you've got to do this. Like If you're going to do it, do it. Otherwise, never go back and don't bring her a sample. And right then I was just new. Oh, it's bhakti chai. Because I had learned about this word bhakti. I could start this company based on devotion. All the lights kind of went on in that moment. So I went home and figured out like, okay, how much is this really costing? Okay, so my tea is this, my ginger is this, my spices are this, bottles, labels, you know, just kind of worked it all through and brought her a sample. And of course she was like, oh my God, we love it. We'll take three gallons. So that was like a week. So that's one account. And I'm like, okay, I can do that on my stove. But then I went to another cafe and brought them a sample. They said, yeah, we want it. So I went and got a commercial kitchen space and started a chai company. And timing on this, what year is this? This is 2007. 2007. Yeah. So my kids are just about two and I started to go back to work full time. Then this became my hobby for extra cash. At the commercial kitchen space, I would go there after work, brew tea, make the chai, and then on my way to work the next day, I would deliver it to the two or three cafes. So it was very small, very grassroots. I didn't have a website or a logo yet. But every month, you know, then I would set up a website. Then I would get the logo. And the logo is interesting because it's a piece of fabric from this lingerie that I had when I had a lover in India. <laughs> So like you're an Indian, you're not really like, oh, I think I need to get lingerie. But I was in India with, you know, someone who I wanted to get lingerie for. 
So this cute like Indian lingerie print. And so I brought that print with this pillow to a local like printing shop in Boulder and said, can you take a picture of those together and put the word Bhakti Chai on top of it? So that's my logo. And I brought the guy a mason jar of chai and he <laughs> tried it and was like, this is great. Sure, I'll do that. He's now still like our design person in Bhakti after all these years. And it, it still really is our logo. It's had variations and tweaks, of course, over the last eight years, but that's how it really began. Just making sure that I'm hearing this right. You have two-year-old twins. Mm -hmm. You're working full-time at another job. Yes. And after work, you're coming to a commercial kitchen, making all this, and just slapping it together over a period of months? Yes. How did you sustain during that time? It was a full probably year and a half, but again, it was very slow. So I was purposely not going to every cafe up and down the street because I knew that if I could brew, you know, once a week or twice a week after work, I didn't have to brew every single night after work. So I could brew enough to kind of sustain these, let's say five or six accounts. But then I started really enjoying the extra cash. I mean, I could get a massage. I was saving money to leave the partner slash husband at the time because I knew he was not really working and hasn't had, doesn't have that kind of ambition around having money to take care of kids. So I knew I had to do it. And that's where the struggle was around, you know, I could just stay in my full-time job. I was a development director for a nonprofit. And that was enough to kind of take care of my family. But I knew if I wanted to go above and beyond and maybe buy a house, I couldn't buy a house on that salary. And so that's where the business was like, well, if I can keep getting more accounts, then I can bring in some more cash. And that's kind of how it was for about a year. So after that year, how did you make the transition from after work kind of hobby company to full-fledged company? And when did you quit your job and know that this was something that you could do full-time? My boss came to me and said, I want you to run this capital campaign and I would get a pay increase. And so I thought, okay, that's a great opportunity to let me think about it. And I really, in my gut, knew at that moment, that's not my path. Two more years of that, hustling this chai thing on the side, I needed to give Bhakti life and not just, you know, this kind of little side thing. It's like she really needed to breathe and get out there and be known and have her logo out there and people try her. And, and so I just knew if I took that more responsibility and more money, I, I couldn't do it both. That was a big leap of faith risk a moment that I'm so glad I did that I encourage every person to do to dive into that unknown because how was I going to pay myself how was I going to support my kids and then how was I going to grow my business like nothing made sense at that time but I knew I had to do it so I started just networking like a full-time job every single night trying to you know who could give money going to banks going to people that I knew that had money or friends of a friends of an uncle of a, you know, it's like, I don't have parents that could help me. I love that the bank was like, well, what about your dad or husband? <laughs> I'm like, no, none of those. No. What about me? Look at this is a profitable company. What about the books of the company? They didn't want to see the books of the company. 
We were only, you know, around for two years at that point. Oh no, we don't know. I mean, you don't want to see the P&L, really? It's good. Look at this. So through networking and, and contacts and other natural food entrepreneurs, they kind of set me in the right path. And they said, meet with this person, meet with this person. And through that path, I was able to put together a family and friends, even though most of them weren't family or friends, angel round of investment. I mean, these are like $5,000 investments. And so I was able to cobble together enough to pay myself, to pay my rent and to take care of my kids. So every milestone, every 10 new accounts, now Whole Foods is interested then I raised another $100,000. Then I raised another $100,000. So it was like, it was, our cap table is huge. There's like 80 people on our cap table. <laughs> that was my only choice. I mean, obviously, if a bank would give me a business loan, I would have happily taken that and not given up all the equity. But I didn't own a house. I, I didn't really own a car. I was like leasing a car. The only way that I could bring Bhakti to the world is have the community of people come and invest. And the thing that's great about that is that they were users. So they wanted to invest because they drank the product. And they also wanted to invest because they saw the potential. And it, it almost was this family where I felt like, oh, okay, I got to keep growing because they just trusted me with their $10,000. I've got to get new accounts. Think about a next you know, retail strategy move out of food service and into retail, moved into being at Whole Foods, you know, coming up with three products for Whole Foods. And then the next year launching a ready to drink, building our own brewery, right? I mean, all these things took years and years and years to do and the capital of a lot of friends and family and angel investors. So I think there's like the moment where you took the leap and actually started brewing tea, but then there's that moment where you quit your full-time job. I think there's this interesting, flawed narrative in society, like a mother of two quitting her job to start her own business that's like irresponsible or something. Did you receive any of that type of criticism or feedback, or did you find that people were mostly supportive? I would say majority of people were supportive because they believed in what I was doing. I think they all loved the product, and so they just they, they could see it too. There was a time where I didn't have health insurance and I couldn't afford health insurance and my kids didn't have health insurance. There were some people who mentioned that being irresponsible. It was, it was stressful in that time of like, wow, what if something really serious happened? But I'm just going to have to trust that we're going to be healthy and fine. And we were. And then, you know, two years later, we ended up doing health insurance for all of our employees. And then we all have health insurance now. So I'm curious about when you look back on those early days, is there anything that you would have done differently now that you have the benefit of hindsight? I would have raised more money. It was always like just enough to get by. And so it was like as soon as money would come, you like, okay, great, breathe, breathe. I can buy this. We can do this. Okay, great. Now we've got this new rent. And then it would be like four months later, I'd be like, oh, no, I might have to start raising money again in a two months. And that takes so much time. Then the legal fees and the paperwork and then meeting with people. And, and so if I could do it again, I, I wish I would have known, like, just try to find 500,000. Just try to find a million somewhere. Like, oh my God. I just feel like what I could have done quickly in terms of marketing wouldn't have taken so long. Cause I'm like, I see other brands that have money and I'm like, 
course you've got a great marketing campaign. <laughs> you can hire a firm. But then I also go back to part of why I think we do have an authentic brand is we didn't have a marketing firm. We just did really guerrilla grassroots things. We, I'm like, we've got to do Barakti Chai. <laughs> we've got to put Kenyan coffee in our chai and put Barak's face on it and put a label on it and put it in Whole Foods. And we had so much buzz and excitement and people loved it. And there were some people like at Whole Foods who, who were like, oh, I don't think, you know, we're going to have to take that off the shelf. That's too political. And But it's just, I think people like that you can be authentic. And sometimes if you had all this money, I might have spent it on firms that were a little too cautious. So I go back and forth. So speaking of that money, um, so after that initial kind of friends and family round, how did you continue to finance Bhakti into what it is today? We brought in our first institutional private equity with a group called the Colorado Impact Fund. So again, what was great is I built this company doing all the things that I thought were right about being triple bottom line. I didn't even know what B Corp was at that point. I just knew that we had to use fair trade tea. We had to use organic ingredients. We had to be non-GMO. We had to give back to organizations that for me are about women and girls. So we were supporting Urgent Action Fund and Global Fund for Women, and that felt good to be writing those checks. Because I come from the nonprofit world, it's like, of course we're going to do that. Of course we're going to do that. And just having that connection around community, which is just how I want to live. And then when I heard about the Calder Impact Fund and that they were looking at companies just like Bhakti, you know, that were doing right thing for the environment, the right thing for employees... And of course, they want their return and they want us to grow, but they're just such good partners. And that was really nice to get. That was the most amount of money that's ever come in. And so that was the lottery of like, wow, we can hire more people. Oh my gosh. And we can get a Tuk Tuk. <laughs> we bought an electric Tuk Tuk and passed out free samples and hats and sponsored yoga festivals and just did all this fun, engaging work that I'd always wanted to do, or, but I could just touch my toe in. So that's been really exciting. Hmm. I love that. I'm very curious about, and you might have already named this, but what is one of the most painful lessons that you've learned? You know, I was so exhausted at certain points that I hired people because I just didn't want to interview anyone else because I didn't have time. And so, so I had to fire a lot of people and then I found my team, and then I built my team, and my team became my family. But, it, but I had to like spend the time getting to know people to see if they're a right fit instead of being like, oh my God, they're fine, and I'm so tired. I don't even want to interview anyone else. Okay, you're, you're hired. Because I just wanted to give them my workload, and then they wouldn't take it until I found my real like family and group that did build the business on their own. And, and took the stress off of me too. So speaking of those like very tired days, I know personally that I've had like multiple times along the journey where I've just had the nights or the mornings of just like, I cannot do this anymore. I, I want to throw in the towel. Have you had those moments? And if so, how have you bounced back from them? I've had many of those moments and... Luckily, I have friends who love to drink, so <laughs> they would come over and we would open the bottle of wine and then the next bottle of wine. 
It's almost like I'd have to get like talked off and to just process it. You can't talk to your employees about that. You know, you have to hold it all together and hold it on your shoulders, which goes somewhere in your body, you know? And so being able to get that out was helpful. And then usually the next day I would wake up and I would be like, all right, all I have to do is solve these problems. And I don't have an option to give up. What, I'm gonna go back to all those people who gave me $5,000 and be like, sorry, I'm tired. Sorry, I just can't figure this out. You know, so there was this pressure that it really wasn't an option. I didn't let myself make it an option. I mean, I would have fantasies of like, I wish I could get in a car accident so I could spend time in the hospital resting. It's insane. Yeah, just to be able to like sleep and watch TV and they could bring me food. So, yes. You know you need help when. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So speaking of that help, you've gotten some recently. You brought in a new CEO to take over from you. And I'm super curious about how that transition has gone. How did you find that person that you felt okay trusting your baby with? And what kind of advice do you have for people who are looking at succession planning? Well, it really came when I started to realize that selling the company was going to be, a, we had to be a lot bigger. And so every time, you know, more capital would come in or we'd have other, you know, private equity partners come on, it's like, oh, well, you've got to be to this amount. Oh, well, not until you're at 70 million or 50 million or something. And I was like, oh my God, the, the number keeps changing. And I started to realize, wait, my kids are going to be graduated from high school before this company sells. Obviously, I was a good mother, but I was also stressed. And I was all the time, like everything had three to five tasks going on at the same time. You know, they would yell, you're not allowed to text and drive, mom. And I'd be like, I'm emailing and driving. It's so different. <laughs> Texting is just silly. I'm sending an email that's really important, you know. And it was that kind of stress energy that I just didn't want to do anymore. And so I set his attention. I told the board, I said, I, I want to find someone who can take us to the next level. I'm still a part of marketing. I'm still doing most of the innovation. I'm still like working on bigger account deals and doing sales and doing lots of things, but employee evaluations and forms. And I just did not, I couldn't do anymore. And it took a while. It was a, over a year process of looking for the right person, but it really happened organically and it, it felt like magic. So she was in Boulder because her son decided to come here for college. And so she happened to park right in front of her offices and saw the big Bhakti Chai sign and walked upstairs to meet me. And, and, you know, she'd heard about me. I happened to be in the conference room interviewing someone for the CEO job. And one of the employees said, oh, well, she's busy there. She's interviewing for the CEO. And this woman said, what? I might want to throw in my hat for that. And that's kind of how it happened. You're kidding. Yeah. And it's been almost two years. And I would say I love her. I think she's perfect for ushering my baby and the next step of day-to-day -day operations. But it's not all easy. I think me backing away was easy because I was going on more hikes. And I was writing. And I was spending time with my kids. And I was cooking all the time. And I was having lunches with friends which I love. I deserve it, yes. you know? And so the balance for me has been amazing, but having to let go of the control is, is hard. And I've had to fight for some things. 
because I'm still, you know, I'm chairwoman of the board. This is my asset. So I have to fight for some things that I really believe in and we have to have some hard conversations. But I think when we look back, the things that we've gone through and the ups and downs, hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll get to a really good place. So imagining your children growing up and them coming to you at some point in their lives with a business idea and asking you for your advice on business and curious what your top kind of two to three lessons are from your experience with starting and growing Bhakti Chai that you would give to them? Well, one, I would say they can't have Bhakti Chai. That's mine. (laughs) Um, I would say, you know, start small. You have to test out your market. And if you're passing things out to people and they're not really interested it's a sign. Like, I just don't think all the data in the world of like the new trends of coconut water and the new trends of kombucha and the new trends. It's like, then people are just doing something because it's trendy. But if it doesn't just light someone up and they want more, then you might not be onto something. So that trial, and I give that advice for people all the time when they're like, I don't know. And this is it. And this is where I'm like, just test it out at the farmer's market or test it out here see what the response is. You learn so much from what people's perceptions are, what other flavors they might want, allergens. And then I would just say, you know, make sure this is how you want to spend your free time because I couldn't track social references for like four years. So people would be talking about shows. It's like, I don't know, what are you talking about? What's Netflix? I wasn't reading. I wasn't writing because I was working at night. But I was happy doing that. There was this this satisfaction of, oh, I just keep growing this thing. The more energy I have, we just now we just got another region of Whole Foods. And now we just got into Sprouts. And now we just got here. Now we just got an award. Now we're just doing new product innovation. Like the, the creativity kept me going. And so if if my kids or anyone who is thinking of starting a business thinks oh, I do not want to sit up at night working on that. It might not be for them. Find the thing that you want to sit up at night and work on. Mm, So many nights. (laughs) (laughs) So taking a different change of pace here, I'm curious, what other life-changing moments have you had? Can you tell us about one of those? Well, you know, when I got pregnant accidentally, um, my mother died when I was one and she committed suicide. And so I've always grown up studying mental illness and studying, uh, you know, how that could happen, how someone could do that, but also what it means to be a mother. And so for me, being a mother always seemed so scary and it was never the right time. So when I first got pregnant, I was just so depressed and it was so dark and I was not wanting to move forward with that. And I went to an abortion clinic and I was going to have an abortion, but I had this moment where I said, you know, life, if I'm supposed to have this child, just give me a sign. Like I just need a sign because I cannot do this right now. I was in such a dark place. And I went in and everything was fine. I was like, well, there's no fire alarm. Um, Everything was just kind of going according to plan. So I was like, okay, I guess this is what's supposed to happen. And I, you know, I got on the table and the doctor did the ultrasound and she was like, oh my God, you're carrying twins. And I just started to 
bawling. So it's like, no, wait, one, wait, no, wait, I didn't want one. I can't have one. I can't be a mother. I can't do this. How am I going to have two? No, 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 no. I was just bawling. My whole body, my whole soul was just revolting and questioning. And it just made no sense. It made no sense at all. But then it did. Then it was like, oh, wait, that's the sign. Mm -hmm. Like these were co-conspirators. They came in and they were like, no, girl, I know you think you can't do this, but you can. And my kids don't know that story yet. I've been waiting till they, you know, could really understand it. And, but they do. I, I see them as, you know, those spirits kind of coming in and, and saying, you know, you've got this. You're going you're gonna to go through this. How old are they now? 14. Boy, girl. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so wrapping up, I have two questions that I ask everyone. What is the most important thing in your life right now? I mean, family. It's so cheesy. I wish I could have something more interesting. But, you know, I've recently, my partner and I have blended families. And it's so fun to have a big family. And her two kids and my two kids. And I have a stepson um, who's 18 going on 19 who's just like such a dream. And I really feel complete in that way. I think there was a lot of searching of, you know, when you're a single mom, it's one, I could hardly date. Like it wasn't really a priority. And so then to find someone that you can kind of bring this family together has been really fun. Love that. Oh. And travel. I mean, I just need it. It's it's the inspiration that I need. It It brings up curiosity. Like I almost forget that I'm not curious until I go somewhere. I go back to India a lot. That's like a soul place for me. And I just, you know, it just brings the curiosity. And so I, I really need that too. I just adore traveling. So final question. We are in some really interesting times right now. And I'm curious about what's actually giving you hope. What's giving me hope is seeing a lot of young women get into politics. And these are progressive women who are of our voice. And our voice is the majority. I think knowing that this next generation is coming up and that really we are the majority of the people, we just have to, we have to bring that message and the midterms. Let's make sure we change some seats. <laughs> The World Changing Women's Podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. As a reminder, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WCWPod. A huge special thanks to Brooke Eddy. Also to Nina Bernardin, our incredible podcast manager, and our podcast partners on this, StoryPop. Join us next week for an interview with another world-changing woman. And thank you, as always, for listening. Mm -hmm.